0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. Welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Before we get into today's epic, if I do say so myself, debate, discussion, whatever you want to call it, between Dave Smith and Tho Bishop. I gotta tell you about a few things. First of them is that you could have already watched this debate. You could have already seen it live, heard it live. If only you were a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride. If only you supported us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can find out more about that over at Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. You get all sorts of bonus audio and video content. And right now, for a very, very limited time, we have a really really amazing discount coming up on vin armani's bitcoin mystery school we're talking about a 34 discount this is going to be a private class for lions of liberty pride members only but you got to be a patron to join so sign up asap again that's patreon.com slash lions of liberty we need to empower people with not just the philosophical tools, but the inspiration to break free from the system
1: Welcome to the
2: flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds of the liberty movement.
0: If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people.
2: Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clair. I love and live forever all right liberty
0: kitty cats welcome to a very special edition of lions of liberty they're all special but this is even more special because uh this one is streaming live to our patrons currently i am broadcasting from a very small town in central mexico to our amazing supporters in the lions of liberty pride uh you guys get the privilege of watching today's episode before before all the freeloading normies get it next week and what a show it is because it's back, baby. It's back. It's the Dave Smith debate series. It has returned. And of course, it would not be a Dave Smith debate without the man himself, the host of the part of the problem podcast, one of the Legion of Skanks, of the man who is now rumored by some to potentially become the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee in 2024. He is a husband. He is a father. He is a comedian. And he is the one and only David Smith. Dave, are you ready to roar?
2: I was waking up roaring in my sleep last night. That's how ready I am for this. Was that you or was that the baby? I, who knows? I was in a dead sleep. <laughs> it, it all blends together at some point. Um, and on the other
0: side of this conversation, we've got another friend of the show. I interviewed him not too long ago about the free state of Florida. He is an editor over at Mises.org. He co hosts uh, both Rothbard Radio as well as the new his new podcast, Redneck Riviera. Very pleased to welcome back, though, Bishop. Though, are you ready to roar? I'm ready to go. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. I figured, and uh, I'm excited to have both of you guys on. Um, I'm a big fan of both of you guys. I know you guys have had a few Twitter spats here and there, and that's that's what Lions Liberty is here for. It's to take Twitter, Twitter. I wouldn't call it a feud, but Twitter spats, Twitter arguments, and bring them to real life, or as closest to real life as, as this is, I guess. Um, but you know, I brought you guys together today because you're you're both advocating for. Very different political strategies, specifically over the next couple of years, and uh, you know, I use that term debate at the beginning of the show because you know it's kind of clickbaity to be honest. People just like debates, but I- I'm looking at this as more of I really just want to have a conversation uh, between between you guys between the three of us more so than I do uh, a formal debate. Uh, you know, we, we're also going to get some uh, incoming questions from our Patreon supporters along the way, so we'll we'll kind of work those in. But uh, that being said, I, I do want to pull at least one element from a formal debate. I do want want to give each of you guys a few minutes, uh, no timer involved here or anything, but to sort of make a, an opening statement to to basically lay out what you each see as your preferred political strategy for the, the greater liberty movement, or maybe you just want to say it, call it the Ron Paul liberty movement, however you want to define it, between now and, say, 2024. Dave, I, I think it's no secret you're a big supporter and a big part of the Libertarian Mises Caucus takeover strategy. Um, so why don't you just start off laying out Exactly what that strategy is and why it's what you are putting your weight behind over the next next several years, whether or not you end up actually pursuing the nomination. I know it, you you mentioned the possibility on Joe Rogan, but you have not formally announced that. But um, people are certainly excited about the idea. So why don't you just lay out what your what your overall strategy here is?
2: Sure. Well, um, well, let me just say first of all that, like as as you kind of indicated before, like there's no feud here at all. Like I love no, though, no. and I love you, and and I I like um you know the, the to me the Mises Institute is the greatest organization in the world, and the the greatest honors of my career have been being invited there uh, a couple times to to do stand up, and uh, th- that and and the Ron Paul Liberty Report and the Tom Woods show to me are like the the coolest things I've ever done. So, you know, and so I. I love everybody on that team those are my people and this is just a you know a disagreement on strategy which has always really been libertarians achilles heel uh i mean we you know we suck at strategy we're great at theory we have the most beautiful irrefutably you know logically sound uh philosophy um but uh, when it comes to actually getting things done, we always fail, and the state just gets bigger and bigger. So um, I'm open to any any of these strategies being critiqued, and I think it's reasonable to have different you know ideas about what could work or what what wouldn't work. But I look at it like this: like I was you know as a child of the Ron Paul movement, I basically uh pretty much agreed. I think, with a lot of those positions on the Libertarian Party during the Ron Paul days. And I was I was pretty much just sold by Ron Paul, who said, look, I mean, all the rules are rigged against third parties. And so what's the point in using a third party? And then he could have his justification for like, you know, I'm more Republican than any other Republican, which is kind of debatable because he's pretty different than every other Republican. And so it's, you know, it becomes, yeah, I guess you stand for what they originally claimed to that they never really stood for. But that aside, Ron Paul never would have had the moment he had if he hadn't been on, on the Republican debate stage and and quite possibly never would have reached me uh, if he had just been, the you know, done another 88 in 2008 and 2012. Um, and so I was pretty much sold on that. Like, yeah, you have to work within uh, one of the two big parties and probably the Republican Party. And um, it wasn't until Ron Paul stopped running for president and Donald Trump, you know, smoked Ron Paul, that I realized, you know, I started to reevaluate this position. And all of a sudden in 2016, you had Donald Trump, um, Hillary Clinton, the two most despised candidates in the history of presidential politics since they've been keeping the polls at least, and then you had this third party that bore the name libertarian. And they had a real opportunity to do something amazing. And they ran, you know, Gary Johnson and uh, uh, Warhawk Raytheon lobbyists and just blew the entire opportunity to really be the anti establishment candidate. In the year of the anti establishment, you know, re- sentiment, they went for a couple of, you know, Republican governors from blue states who just want to ask you to come back to the center that you all hate so much. And so I started to to kind of reevaluate that position and a lot of things changed. You know, it's not the Ron Paul days anymore. Number one, the, the you know, libertarianism has been mainstreamed in a way that it hadn't been prior to, to Ron Paul because of the success of his campaigns. Um, also, there was a revolution, not the revolution Ron Paul was talking about, but there was a revolution in media to the point that it's it, the big problem in the Ron Paul campaigns was that he got blacked out in the media. But that's over now. I mean, now the alternative media is bigger than the actual corporate press, and there's no blacking out these ideas if you have somebody who can get on those big shows. And um, it, it and, and of course the the two major parties have been discredited in a way that was unimaginable even in two thousand eight. Um, and so I, I think now. There's a real opportunity to use the Libertarian Party to help further the cause. And to me the cause is is this simple. It's if we want to see any type of libertarian so- society in our lifetime, we need a lot more libertarians. There's no way to get around that. It's it's not going to happen unless a lot more people understand these ideas. And there's a there's a lot of people out there who still potentially could be convinced, converted. And so the the strategy of the Mises Caucus is to get the libertarian movement into the libertarian party, try to recreate the Ron Paul uh, revolution and introduce these ideas to as many people as we can. I think there's even more potential now than in 2008 when Ron Paul first started this. And, and I would just say that the, um, that I think what's useful and particularly about a presidential run is is demonstrated by the energy that Ron Paul had. that that's never been recreated for true libertarianism and i'm not talking about like milton friedman you know uh i'm pro-war but have some decent positions on the market or ayn rand objectivism i'm talking about ron paul you know mises rothbard anti-war anti-state true libertarianism The only successful moment we had in spreading this message to a lot of different people was when we were running a presidential campaign and because Ron Paul was such a great messenger for these ideas. And he's still saying really, really great stuff on the Liberty Report five days a week. I always watch. He's doing a great job there, but it just doesn't have the same energy because there's not this thing to rally around. And so that's what I think the purpose of the Libertarian Party should be. And that's what we're trying to accomplish.
0: All right, though, feel free to, um, you know, you can critique any parts of Dave's statements in there if you want, but really just lay out your own vision, your own strategy. Uh, I know you're personally pursuing a strategy within the Republican Party in Florida, but you can also speak on just maybe what the what you feel the greater liberty movement should be doing politically.
1: Absolutely. And and first of all, I'm going to this is a tremendous honor, Um, you know, in the last few years, uh, the, the only libertarian commentators that I, I've really found myself attracted to the you know, providing a unique opinion has been Dave and, and Michael Mallison and, and Jeff Dice. and, and of course Mark, I have thank to throw that you. last one in there because you know I'm an employee <laughs> uh, no, but, and, and this is and, and it's because of the the content of, of Dave and, and malice and and Jeff that and then also just the experiences this past year where I've really Appreciated just how the luxury that I've had as being one of the freest people in the world because of vulgar politics. All this is kind of coincided with a a reappreciation, kind of a, going back to the old school, genuine paleo strategy, which is sometimes you know, uh, I know some of the loser Lewis, will will attack the libertarian party, mises Caucus, trying to pursue a, a a paleo strategy, and and things that like that's exactly that that's my critique. That's that's my critique <laughs> of the entire thing right here. And and what I find so fascinating is going back and reading this stuff is that, you know, you, you read where where Lou and, and Murray were coming from in the early 1990s, and it sounds like Tucker Carlson's today. And that's what I find so encouraging. I, I think that I, – I view kind of the Libertarian Party approach as kind of like an ultimate political black pill, that basically there's nothing to salvage within the political, political system, and so therefore you're trying to – appeal beyond left and right and try to build something new. And I I think that right now, in spite of the failures of Rand Paul's 2016 campaign, there's more to be optimistic about as a libertarian within the modern political system than we've had in a very, very long time. Um, And and part of that is because of this rise in in alternative media. Uh, If you look back and you look at the 90s, for example, one of the biggest issues that the paleo strategy had was kind of in the mid 90s, and, and leading up to, you know, pe- people talk about how the, the the Paleo strategy was a failure. I don't see it as a failure at all. For one, what people forget about this is, you know, they focus on Pat Buchanan losing in 92 and 96 and Steve Forbes, and it was a successful 96. But what 96 also brought was Ron Paul back to Congress. And the reason why Ron Paul was able to do that 20 years out, you know, he, he had been out of politics for about a decade. He was now known as being. Ron Paul, radical Austrian libertarian right? You know, he he couldn't just come right in as being a country doctor. He was able to do that because of this larger conservative outreach that was going on from his camp. A lot of those institutions were being built during this time. The Mises Institute, Antiwar.com with Justin Raimondo. A lot of this came out of this paleo strategy. But one of the problems though, came about After the Oklahoma City bombing, and then later in two thousand, after the events of two thousand eleven, where the media, for one, the, the the Oklahoma City bombing allowed with the control of the corporate press, right, the manufacturing consent, turned American politics against. The anti-government extremists, right? I mean, I was watching Frazier the other day. Like, there's, there's, they make jokes about like these crazy militia members. But, like, that's kind of that's kind of the Trump based though, right now. Like, that's the way they're it's really a like, Fraser reference, it. by the way. Yeah, <laughs> but they, they, they couldn't. Uh, you know, they, they, they uh, you know, now, now we're living in a very different time. The, the, the corporate press has less power on, on that than ever before. And I think this is an opportunity. The other side of it, though, unfortunately, was was nine eleven because like what that period opened to in the '90s was because of the post Cold War change in foreign policy, kind of a, a, a splintering of kind of the, the the buckley fusion sort of stuff and now i think you know while obviously and particularly given everything that we're seeing in, in israel this past you know the last few weeks you know we are politically in a post war on terror society even though we're not in a post war on terror era and i think it's precisely that on the right you know we saw it not only with donald trump's campaign you know again it, he literally you know said bush did 9 11 in a south carolina stage but you know the fact that tucker carlson has the most you know, powerful position in cable news right now and, and you see this entire sort of, of it's not conservative ink, right? You, these are people hostile to conservative ink, but it's this, this interesting national conservative sphere on Twitter, like Pedro Gonzalez and uh, what, what Michael Anton's doing. Like, there's this very interesting intellectual development on the right. And and I think that's, I think it's so important for libertarians to be engaging with that group for, for two reasons. For one, like, I think that this, because they understand the, you know, they, they're, they're Recognize the dangers of the empire, both domestically and or both internationally and domestically. These are natural allies. The problem there is, of course, there's always a divide on economics. But if we don't engage with them seriously as common, you know, within kind of a common tribe with an acknowledgement that we agree on common end goals, then we're going to lose that bait entirely. You know, I, I think that one of the things we need to be pushing is, you know, that if we're living in a populist moment, we need to be pushing. You know jacksonian populism over you know teddy po- populism right and that's we're going to lose that battle we're going to lose the right if we don't engage with that on their terms the other side of it though is i i think the libertarian movement is inherently detrimental to libertarianism i i think that ron paul was obviously the icon of you know we, we think back with nostalgia about 2012 it's because ron paul was so great your know, ron, ron paul's kind of a unique figure where you know, lou the rockwell's talked about how you know the trumpers are better than trump the taftians are better than taft well the Ron Paul movement was different because Ron Paul is better than us, <laughs> right? And and that's, that's that's important because if you think back, a lot of that libertarian movement was garbage, right? I mean, it was people pushing, you know, the the, the watered down stuff of like, and, and I'm not saying these are bad people. I'm just saying this wasn't the Ron Paul, you know, tea, but it was it's it's the 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 you know, Matt and the Jack Hunters, and the liberty you know Liberty Con things, and you know, we had these big big conferences that gave people major platforms saying things that we as libertarians liked, but they were politically impotent. You know, Amash had less impact than Ron Paul. Thomas Massey, who I think is wonderful, right? I think he's wonderful. He didn't build the apparatus that Ron Paul did. Rand Paul obviously was not his father. And and so I think that it's precisely because Ron was able to to have that outrage in the 90s with some of that paleo-conservative, right? His, his appeal with uh, a lot of religious groups, and the reason he was so strong in Iowa is because of non-conserv- non-libertarians appealing to them. I think that libertarians are at its strongest when we're influencing either the left or right, rather than trying to separate us out from the group. Because I think particularly right now, in this polarizing age, it's the cultural issues that give us strength. You know, it, you know hey, look, here's economic things to achieve your cultural lens. Whatever those means, left or right, I think that's where I have a lot more influence in trying to separate us out from the group because I think that the people that you know, everyone talks about, hey, like I don't like the modern system, let's go third party. When it comes to practice, they aren't really apathetic to to you. Know, if, if you're given the choice between you know, Desantis or Kamala Harris, there's not a lot of people that are going to be like, oh well, both of them are equally bad. I'm going to go LP, and and that's where I, th- I think that you know, unfortunately, we live in a red versus blue world. And unless the LP wants to outright the right and take over that side of things or out left the left and take over that side of things, I think that any sort of third party approach is simply taking us out of the political sphere rather than engaging in the ways that can really make some impact.
0: Alright, gang. Well, speaking of making some impact in the Liberty sphere, there's two guys out there that have been doing just that. No, I'm not talking about Brian McWilliams and John Oderman, although they do it here as well. But I'm talking about my friends Nate and Charlie over on Good Morning Liberty. They hit the Liberty game five. I mean, five freaking days per week. You got to go subscribe to Good Morning Liberty. Nate and Charlie have really unique backgrounds, both from the music industry as well as the healthcare industry. And on top of that, they're Lions of Liberty supporters, Lions of Liberty patrons patrons great guys great libertarians and they do a kick-ass job of filtering the news and current events through the ideas of liberty what better way to start your day or your late morning or your early afternoon whenever it happens to come out by joining nate and charlie on good morning liberty find them wherever you listen to podcasts wherever you're listening to this one should work just fine or check out their website which you can find at dot com. Just to follow up on that, would you say like a a big difference between the strategy you you are supporting and the strategy Dave is supporting is like Dave is out there trying to create more libertarians uh using this vessel of of the libertarian party the mises caucus to get on platforms and just get in front of more people whereas your strategy to me seems you're like you're more in favor of not necessarily creating more libertarians per se of course that that's wonderful if we do that along the way but more so of engaging with a pop a populist sentiment that's already out there that already exists and trying to turn them in a more libertarian
1: direction Is that a fair summary? To a part, I mean, I fully support the idea of creating as many libertarians as possible. I, I work for the Mises Institute. The Mises Institute's job is to educate the masses. We want to create new Misesians, new Rothbardians, et cetera, et cetera, right? I just don't think the job of a political party is education. Um, you know, I, no other political movement uses its political party as a means of education. There's other institutions that you build for that. And so that's why I, I believe that there's a division of labor in terms of strategy. And, and you know, ultimately, I, I remember you know, the only time I agreed with uh, Nick Sarek, and, and it wasn't even necessarily in disagreement anything Dave said during, during the, that, that great debate, was Nick Sarek made a point. It's like, look, the LP's job is to count ballots. And, you know, it's, it's, and I, I agree with that. And the problem is, is that if, if that's the goal of politics, you have 50 plus one, that's the way you win. That's the way you hold them at lovers of power in ways that you can have policy impacts that, that can lead us closer to liberty. Um, you know, that that's what that specific thing is. And we shouldn't confuse our... I think it's a mistake when we look at education as a political strategy. It's a separate entity in my book.
0: David, you just want to respond to that, that kind of idea of using the political party educationally, uh, wherein I think some people might say, maybe though included, yeah, you can already get on Joe, Joe Rogan. You already have a huge podcast with Legion of Skanks with Part of the Problem. You already got on Fox News. Why are you doing more for the Libertarian Party by becoming a part of that and promoting it than, than having the Libertarian Party as your platform would actually do for your you and your ability to get on those platforms?
2: Right. So this was kind of the point that I was trying to make with talking about the energy that Ron Paul had during the presidential campaigns and how much he was spreading these ideas compared to doing the liberty report where he's still saying all the great stuff he's always said but it doesn't have the same impact because whether we like it or not Americans focus on politics basically once every 4 years i mean now i guess more than ever before but they really focus on politics once every 4 years and they're really there's there's a some huge number of americans probably have no idea who their mayor is But every one of them knows that Donald Trump ran against Joe Biden last year. Now, we may not like that, but that is the reality. And I think that those are going to have a little bit of a tough time here making this argument without repudiating the Ron Paul campaigns, which I know is would be an uncomfortable thing to do. But Ron Paul explicitly ran his campaigns to speak to the remnant and to keep these ideas alive. And ideas are powerful, and I don't see why. Um, just because though asserts that political campaigns aren't about spreading ideas, I, I don't really see any evidence that that's the truth. I think it was the most successful time we ever had spreading libertarian ideas were during the Ron Paul presidential campaigns. And so I, you know, I, I think it's a really effective way to do that, and it's probably our best shot. Now, just a couple things. I think there's a little bit Bit of a false choice um, to say that we need to engage with these people who are Donald Trump supporters, and I like I completely agree with that. Of, of course, we need to engage with them. It's it's a big opportunity, um, and that's I think there's lots of different groups that th- are specifically. Um, more likely to be, you know, like the ones that we should engage with. I don't think that's exclusively on the right, though. I do think people like uh, Tulsi supporters uh, who were a lot of left wingers, and I do think that there is still, although it's not what it used to be, there is an anti-war strain on the left that are very open to some of the ideas that that we talk about and i actually have a decent amount of them who listen to my show who are you know kind of but now again i'm not it's not as big of a block as say like trump supporters but um you know it's it again i don't think we shouldn't talk to any one of these groups of people i i don't completely agree with those assessment of the the paleo strategy i mean i do think some good things came out of it i think that there was a lot of um I understand the strategy at the time but we don't live in 1991 anymore it's a it's a you know radically different world now and um and and again I think that most of these strategies should have been eclipsed by the ron paul strategy which was to me obviously the best which is libertarian populism pure mm-hmm. libertarianism that is Pure populism. You guys are all being screw- screwed by this ruling elite, and not just in some vague sense. I'm going to drain the swamp. Let me tell you exactly what the swamp is. The you know the swamp is these defense contractors and the Federal Reserve and the you know like uh, the pharmaceutical companies and down the list. And um so uh, you know. Is it a black pill? I don't think so, unless you're going to say the Ron Paul campaigns were a black pill, which I think were the most inspiring, optimistic uh, presidential campaigns in American history. But the reality of the situation is that I don't really think on a national level we can do any better than spreading ideas and waking a lot of people up. I just don't think the idea, you know, like locally, you can have victories and you can get a little bit more freedom for people. That's phenomenal. That's fantastic. Do that however you can do it. On a national level, I I just don't think it's practical to think that we're going to get our guy into the federal government, even at the head of the executive branch, and that somehow roll back these institutions that are designed to expand. That, I mean, they're designed to consolidate power and and look at Donald Trump. I mean, there's plenty of flaws with him, but, you know, he was completely handcuffed uh, once he got in, into the presidency. And anyone who was actually good and understood what they were doing would would have as much, if not more to deal with.
0: And, and there's there's a couple different tracks here, it, it seems like there's there's the track of simply just inspiring more people, getting more people awakened to these ideas. And hopefully just unleashing a new Ron Paul revolution of sorts, uh, an, L- an LPMC revolution or a Libertarian Party revolution that sends people off to to do more of their own things. I mean, this podcast we're on right now was a direct inspiration from the Ron Paul revolution. So maybe the hope from there is that we can just inspire tenfold that that same idea, whereas I think, though, is focusing more on the idea of Politics and political parties should be for political power and for using that power to get more of whatever. In our case, it would be more freedom. Though, um, so, so I'll just let you respond to to those ideas. Do you think those are are separate tracks in the sense that? they can be pursued at separate times? Or do you think that they're maybe through your, your strategy through the GOP, you can do both at the same time. You can get people in power who are, who are doing things that are helping people meet, be more free, like for yeah. yourself. Uh, I think that it wasn't that much of a vote difference between Ron DeSantis and his opponent, whose name, I don't know, uh, but, yeah. Yeah, but that, but that drastically affected your life for the past year. I mean, you lived a much freer life than probably I or Dave did in, in the last year, specifically because of that, that, that small change in power uh but but do you think that's something that can coincide with also waking up as many people through that same political process or should just jo- should those jo- should those just be completely separate concepts to you
1: no no i i, I think that there, there very much is a place to use the political stage for for ideas but my, my point there was and, and I, I think i was perhaps uh, uh did not articulate it uh, properly, is that the goal there being to create libertarians separate from right and left? Right, so like when Ron Paul would go on stage and he would talk about liberty, he would talk about his anti-war policies, and he, you know, he, he would he would you know, wrap his his you know, views on drugs within kind of a Christian morality, right? He would wrap his his his, his you know, rejection of the empire based off of kind of old-school conservatism. He tried to make his radical ideas. Part of the natural Republican narrative, part of that history, and and when you saw that play out in terms of you know think about how many like Ron Paul Republicans organizing within the structure of the party were able to take over Iowa, for example. I mean, it wasn't simply Ron Paul on a stage uh, expressing those ideas on you know within debates, though that itself was important, and that itself again was a direct byproduct of being on one of the two major parties. It, it was genuine organizational effort that brought in not just libertarians per se. I mean, like you had a, a, who was the guy? He would write books for like Ron, uh, uh, Weed, Doug, Doug Weed. Somehow, you know, up with Trump Trump orbit as well. I don't know how that happened, but like, I mean, but Ron would surround himself with non. I'm still names. a teenager,
0: so I still giggle at the name Doug Weed. <laughs> That's just me.
1: But uh, but like, somebody, you know, Ron was able to to gather a group that wasn't simply libertarians to build this larger apparatus. And, and, and I think that's, again, where that power sort of sort of came from there. And, and so that's where I, I think that and, – and I have nothing against, for example, reaching out to the Tulsi Gap, some world, things like that. I, I and, and I don't think that Dave – Dave, perhaps better than, than just what anyone in the libertarian movement engages with figures in both the left and the right um, you know, in respectable terms. The problem is, is that if you go to your average person, and they're already you know, on the left to right scale – if, if, if I go to a Republican in Bay County, Florida, and I'm a Republican, they're going to, give, you know, they're going to pay more res- you know, attention. They're going to give me more respect than if I'm coming from them as an enemy. And, and if you are a libertarian, you are an enemy. You know, if, if you, we, we are, and, and that's what I think is, is you know, because we have such a, a massive weight on our shoulders, we're fighting for the ideas of civilization itself. I think that we should try to do everything in our, in our possibility to not weigh ourselves down. And I think that when you embrace a third-party label, you are necessarily relegating these ideas to the fringe because most people think Team Red or Team Blue, like it or not. And and so that's why again, that's why I'm I'm fully okay with libertarians also going on the Democratic side and trying to hey look you know you know let's let's have the, the Tulsi libertarians out there and and Jared Polis in Colorado does some interesting stuff. I'm, I've got nothing against any of that. I and mean, that's why I think that you know, when we try to isolate ourselves and create a libertarian movement, again, I, I think that it, it, it creates a great feeling of community because everyone can share the same memes and, and you know, everyone high fives because they have, the same, you know, they have the same answers to everything. But I don't think that creates a powerful political movement, and I think that there are things to be done. For example, on the, na- the point about the national politics and, and the, the role that, that has, you know, I, I think that national politics itself is a bit of a distraction. You know, the, the, if we're going to make, I think, any sizable chunks again. I mean, for example, the, the vaccine passport thing. Libertarians were you know, I did, correctly identified the severity of the dangers posed by vaccine passports. They being one of the best ones out there. The difference is, is that that state of Florida was able to ban vaccine passports. Because of that, vaccine passports are effectively dead everywhere in the country because you can't, in the same way that California ends up dec- dictating the emission regulations like cars, right? And so here you have political power at a state level actually achieve a relatively radical libertarian solution without needing to have this national stage. And then I, lastly, I think that there are Republicans out there, not just simply the intellectual, the, the interesting parts of like right-wing Twitter. There are genuine Republicans. Matt Gates. When you hear him talk about the Republican Party and what needs to happen, I mean, he's, he's calling out the swamp by name. He's calling out the defense contractors. He's call, you know, calling out big corp money. He's, you know, he's doing that. And, and so it's, recit- it's not just Trump. Though, you know, Trump was great on rhetoric and not necessarily follow through. Um, though, again, I mean, it, it ended up with you know, there's more 70 percent of Republicans today view the presidency as illegitimate. I mean, that's one of the most radical things that's ever happened, right? I mean if you want the anatomy of the state, right? The whole lesson there, the power of the state comes legit perception of legitimacy from the public. Trump did more to delegitimize the state than any libertarian has, including Ron Paul. And and that's again, and that's why I, I think these things are, are meaningful. And and I think that's why, particularly right now, you know, perhaps Things change just like they did after eleven. Perhaps there's a time when the only option we have is a libertarian side of side of things. I just think that right now in this moment, these sort of things are, give me a lot of optimism, not needing to, to break ourselves off quite yet. Mm.
2: Um, okay, so I guess uh, uh, a couple thoughts I have on that. So uh, to your first point about if you're on the uh, the libertarian party, then you're seen as the enemy mm-hmm. by Republicans. Um, there might be some truth to that, but if you're a Republican you're seen as the enemy by the entire other half Mm -hmm. of the country. I mean, nothing is more toxic to a Democrat than a Republican and vice versa. Whereas in the Libertarian Party, you kind of can speak to both of them and not be seen as so much of an enemy um, because it's not, most people don't even really know that much about the third party. And I got to say, I think if you approach it the right way, you can be a Libertarian and talk to left-wingers and right-wingers. And, you know, I've had a lot of success doing that. And I think oftentimes not seen as the enemy right away, because I'm a member of the Libertarian Party. Um, look, I, I do agree with you that there are some local and state level victories that really should be appreciated. And like DeSantis is absolutely, you know, it's heroic what he's done on on the COVID stuff in general. I mean, and he is, you know, he has given real people you know and people who i know like yourself and people i really care about like tom and his he's got five daughters and they all have better lives because he's their governor um however it it does seem like that game always puts us on the losing end that the federal government's always going to be getting bigger and bigger and we're going to be losing more liberty and more and be on this unsustainable uh uh course um it, unless there's some type of awakening and I think that like the right now is the most fertile time for there to be a huge awakening. And I don't know, you know, of the Republicans, even of the ones who are good, uh, the, the ones you're talking about who are kind of outside of the the neocon establishment like Gates or or DeSantis. I mean, let's like just be brutally honest about how good they really are, because, you know, DeSantis was good on covid, but he's really not that great. Overall, like his politics really aren't very good. Uh, What would a DeSantis presidency look like? It probably wouldn't be great. You know, I'll say when you say that these Republicans view this election as illegitimate, that was true of the Democrats with George W. Mm -hmm. Bush. Now, maybe not to the exact same level. That it is today but george w bush lost the popular vote and that was a big thing around the year 2000 And when he started doing all his george w bush things that was the first thing the democrats would always say that al gore was the legitimate president and he wasn't and this is why lou rockwell true with trump and hillary too yeah yeah and this is why lou rockwell was writing pieces in the george w bush uh years about how much more reasonable the left was Than the right and how I'd much rather be reading the Nation magazine than reading National Review. And a lot of times I think libertarians can fall into this trap where whoever has power, it's easy to be more sympathetic to the side that's reactionary against them because they're reacting against all of the bad guys. You know, like, yeah, all these Trump supporters are against CNN and the CIA and, you know, whoever, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of that. But what would it really look like when they get in power? What did it really look like when they got in power? And, and I got to say like I just don't even like so is DeSantis are you would you be like enthusiastic to support a DeSantis presidency? He's he, I mean I, I've looked into him a little bit more since we you know plan to, to do this the, this debate and I, I really only knew the COVID stuff about him. I mean, he is just awful on foreign policy. awful. Uh, he, he refers to himself as the, the, uh, the most pro-Israel governor yeah. in the country. He, he yeah. railed against Obama for the Iran deal and said that the Obama administration was kinder to the Cubans and Iranians than he was to Netanyahu. That's what he sees our problem in foreign policy. We're not too friendly with we're not friendly enough with Israel. That's his issue. Yeah. I mean, what 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 type of real change is this guy going to make as president? Right, the, the Defend your boy. Yeah, well, it, it comes down to this:
1: is that you know, one of the things that we've talked that that has been, I think, a, a that you you and Michael Malice have really pushed in the mainstream of libertarian understanding is the fact that the powers that be, the real power structures here, nearly are not simply the state. Right, it's the media, it's the universities, it's the cathedral, it's the public policy experts, and so when I look at DeSantis, I don't look at, I don't see a libertarian. Obviously, he's not a libertarian. What I do see, though, is someone who has stood up to these institutions' of power. Show me anyone. Show me anyone else in the country that has, has victories and and, and have, has actually put action behind standing up to these people. You know, he's, he's taking on the media. I mean, I, I, some of this, of course, is him mirroring, you know, mirroring. Uh, Donald Trump shtick, right? He's he's trying to appeal to the same base, which again I I think shows a level of. Do you even of, see how
2: he, he's he's, he's, oh, he's, up, he's like the, the hands. Hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You, you, you can very
1: clearly tell. I mean, like he's and, got I, a
0: hand motion coach.
1: Last, you know, like, last week he brought on like two people that were facing like jail time because of the local government in Florida. And he brought them on Laura's Ingram's show. It's like able it a reality show reveal, right? I mean he yeah. this is a guy that studies Trump's like, and guess what? That's smart. That's intelligent. Because what it's what it's able to do is he, he's now been able to inherit the most popular movement in all time. And I think that goes back to the point about, OK, well, Al Gore in 2000. The difference is that Trump supporters would, would you know, the, the Democrats didn't love Al Gore. They hated George W. Bush. Republicans don't simply hate Joe Biden they love donald trump that's a difference there you know it's many that's why you know he lives the legitimate president not just a re- reaction there um and so so but to the DeSantis stuff again he one of the things i because i i supported DeSantis in 2018 when he was running the primary partly because he was running against like the embodiment of the worst part of the republican bush era adam putnam whole other thing um thankfully he, he, he won that um i did not expect to if, if you just told me you know year and a half ago that I would be, you know, Ron DeSantis 2024, I thought, you know, I'd, I'd call you crazy. But again, the difference is that he he's now recognizes the, the, the complete illegitimacy, the, 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 the corruption of the public policy expert apparatus that you have in D.C. And, and to all that foreign policy stuff, for one, being in Congress is different than being an executive, right? For one, I, I, I don't particularly see Ron DeSantis going in there and shaking up, uh, uh, radically changing our alliances in the Middle East what you could hope for is is taking steps backward you know you're reining in some things reevaluing some things in the margins i don't expect a foreign policy revolution i don't wish i did but i mean I, I, one of the things that's passed in the last few years in florida is like florida literally buys like israeli bonds right like that's just that's just where it is that's the politics of the state um so i'm not i'm not expecting that but what i do think that he's going to go in there and and reevaluate the personnel apparatus of a lot of these things i think there's chances for uh, uh, massive changes to the, the intelligence agencies and things like that, because I think that what you have is in particular, and then a lot of the, the regulatory side of it and, and the administrative state. Um, and hopefully, and I, I don't think that you're going to get from this a, a, a libertarian uh, you know, a, a world. I don't think it's going to be a libertarian evolution. I think what you can do is simply push back against the left that has all these other power structures. And, that, and ultimately, right. that's what we need right now, because the threat that's posed to us is not simply from the state. It's everything else the left controls. And, and then the irony is that I know there's a lot of people on the right that are skeptical of democracy and, and, and all that sort of stuff, but democracy is the only platform that the right has been able to have in the West to push back against how baked in this institutional left Power hold has gotten to. And so what I'm hoping for at most is simply a slowing down of the, of the left's complete takeover, the acceleration that we've seen, just, just in the first 120 days of, of the Biden administration, I, I think really is troublesome. Um, and then have hopefully that, that you know, working at the state level to, to push back against what's going on there. Because ultimately, the, the only solution that we're going to have, I don't think is going to come from a grand federal revolution. It's going to be, you know, kind of separations of nations within the U.S., and, and that's one thing that we saw during uh, the Trump years is the left started getting a lot more serious about states' rights. That's good. Um, hopefully the right will learn from it. The right didn't during the Obama administration. And so hopefully that's something that we can learn from. Um, but uh, you know, to me, the biggest threat right now is not you know, Ron DeSantis' foreign policy in Israel. It is the, the degree to which the left controls so many institutions of power. And I'm just looking for anything that can slow that down, because I think that truly right now is really the, the, the real power. Because even when Trump was the president, Ultimately, a lot of things that he wanted were completely undermined because of this larger professional political class. And that's that's really the enemy in my my view.
2: Yeah, I I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, the support for Israel isn't it's certainly the biggest threat to the Palestinian people. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like, right. I I understand uh, that you're saying, you know, it's it's the this idea of the left taking over everything. And believe me, I mean, you know, I am opposed to that as anybody. I, I hate all of the kind of institutional power that's been gained by these. If you can even call them leftists, I mean, I don't know, neo-progressives, whatever, you know, exactly they are, um, they're certainly not leftists in the true, you know, like if you read uh, left, right, in the Prospects for Liberty, they're not leftist in the, you know, classical sense. Um, They're corporatists, fascists Mm -hmm. of of some sense, but with a progressive woke twist to them. But I guess I I would just say that you know you could pretty easily uh, describe the post nine eleven culture as Mm -hmm. a very right wing culture, Um, and it certainly was you know very much about like kind of um, nationalism and militarism and loyalty to the to the government and you know that Mm -hmm. type of you know right wing hierarchical structures and that was every bit as as scary and in some ways led to the situation that we have now so to me as libertarians we have we recognize that really the problem is the growth of the state and so when when you're talking about you know maybe a republican can get in and fight off this institution or that institution it just seems like the definition of insanity i mean every time a republican gets in the state grows larger and larger it's not ever it's not even like once we've had a republican get in there and bring us a little bit back into the direction or even slow the rate of growth of the state. They accelerate it from what previous Democrats have done. I mean, Obama, by many metrics, was worse. I mean, uh, but, uh, Trump was was worse in many metrics than, than Obama, certainly in, in the rate of bombs dropped, in the, in the money spent uh, in, in his first four years. And, you know, I, I mean, he's got a lot on his hands about the, the COVID lockdowns, you know, certainly declaring the national state of emergency and giving cover to all of these governors to, to go nuts. So I, I just think that at what point do our ideas get out there? You know, we can keep playing this game of like, well, let's support these Republicans because they're a little bit better on three issues, even though they're a little bit worse on these other three issues than the Democrats. But at what point, if if we're too worried about making Republicans uncomfortable that we can't talk to them, I think we have to find a way to tactfully Speak to them, but we have to make them a little bit uncomfortable. We have to let you know, like, make them realize that, like, no, actually, their foreign policy views are a lot of what's caused this situation that we're in right now. That them supporting Israel and them supporting the the deep state and all of these things for years and years. I mean, look, the moment we're living through right now is that the war on terrorism that the Republicans, Mm -hmm. through their elected representatives, launched, has been turned inward on them. To me, that that kind of suggests an opportunity for Mm -hmm. libertarians to, you know, respectfully in a way that we can reach them, be like, hey, this is why you never want to support this type of government authority, right? Because it can be turned against you. And uh, so, again, I just, you know, I mean, though you're a Mises Institute guy, you know, you know that the the whole game here is keeping our ideas alive Mm -hmm. and trying to persuade the masses, not some Hayekian model, but rather a Rothbardian, Ron Paulian model of trying to persuade the masses of our views. And if we're just there supporting Trump or supporting DeSantis or whatever, I I don't think we we ever get an opportunity to do that. It's it's not simply about blindly following it. The people,
1: I mean, you're you're talking about 71 plus million people. So yeah, that, that, voted for Trump. like That's that's the audience I want. That's that, Those are the masses that I want to appeal out to, because those are the ones that are under the greatest threat of the state, right? I mean, what we're going to see is a war on domestic terror, and every Trump supporter is going to be a suspect. And so rather than saying, hey, look, we've warned you guys back in 2001 that's going to come, I mean, the, it's important to show that we, that consistency there, absolutely. And, and, and the argument is not that we should be simply creating a, a propaganda for, for DeSantis, you know, someone like Trump or DeSantis and, and, and justifying bad policy. Not at all. What we should be doing, though, is saying, is like, look, we are, you know, we are on the same team here. And this is why the biggest threat is the state to all these sort of things you know, right, right now. Right. The, the weaponization of the military uh, by the by the measures, the critical race here, things like that. I mean, that is something that living in a, in a town in Bay County, Florida, which is a big military population, I mean, people are recognizing it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I mean, this is this is a dangerous thing. The conservatives have lost faith. And, and and this is what, again, I, I agree, the Bush era, the, 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 the 2000, but, but we're not living that time anymore. We're living in a fundamentally different time. because Conservatives have lost faith in you know, Congress, congressional leadership. They've lost faith in the presidency, obviously, with, with Biden. That's a partisan thing. here. You know, but they're losing faith in the Supreme Court, in part because of their failure to take up election-related related courses. And they're losing faith in the military. They've already lost faith in the FBI, intelligence agencies. The loss of faith in these institutions, it's not like both sides are like equally sort of skeptical of things. Sorry, it's not the right. Hmm. It's where the skepticism exists. And so we should be leaning into that skepticism. So that's 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 the thing. We should be reaching out to the supporters of it. And, and then we should hope that there are institutional ways of, of institutionally using state power and ways that can really take some of those chunks out. For example, one of the biggest threats, you know, obviously, the, the key to federal power is the, the access to the money printing. Right. So the Fed. There's obviously a great Ron Paul uh, uh, perspective there is that the Fed is is the key to so much of the empire, right? Well, if you look to see, okay, well, where are the gains made in using political power? It is is, Republicans in Wyoming. It is Republicans in Texas. It's Republicans in these other states that passed like 10th Amendment style, like gold, silver stuff, right? There are things at the state level through political activism, in this case, the Republican political party, how it can create ways that, you know, that, that, that protect those sort of holes. I mean, we've seen massive explosions in uh, 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 nullification of gun rights, gun bills, constitutional carry, et cetera, et cetera. It's not true that Republicans in charge simply grow the state. It's true on a federal level, and that's an issue at the federal level. But at the state level, 9 out of 10 of the, the lowest tax states in the country are red. The one, alternative, the one exception is Colorado. They have a constitutional amendment built in. 9 out of 10 freest economic states red one exception being Colorado, Um, best gun rights, et cetera, et cetera, right? So so at the state level, we do see a massive difference in the way that you're governed based on vulgar red-blue politics, and I, I think we shouldn't take that for granted.
2: Yeah, I, I just also, I agree with you. I just also think we should really be libertarians and that, you know, it, let's just remember how how great and how great so much of the writing coming out of the Mises Institute and from Lou Rockwell was during those George W. Bush years. Mm-hmm. And just what I hear you leaving out here, I like, I agree with everything you're saying, but there's another half to this equation, which is that, you know what, how many of those blue states stopped throwing human beings in cages for pot? And that's a pretty big deal too. So you can brag about the, the you know, Texas having such a low or non-existent state income taxes. And that's phenomenal. I'm for that. What do they do to someone who gets caught with a bag of mushrooms there? What, what are they looking at? I mean, literally, I think you might be looking at a 20 year sentence if you get caught with a little bag of some drug you're not supposed to have. So I get your point. It's just that I'm not just a Republican. I'm I'm like a bleeding heart Rothbardian mm-hmm. and that there's all different types of state aggression and that, uh, that I uh, am opposed to. And that I think we need to raise awareness about and try our best to end. And it's just not, you know, I, I mean, there, there's other, there's other, you know, forces here that are at work as well. So I just, I would just try to keep that in mind too. It's not like it's all on, on the right. It's not like it's all just the, the economic stuff, although that is, is very, very important. Um, so look, I'm for all of that. I'm for every little bit of freedom that everyone can get on a local level, and I don't care if it's a Democrat decriminalizing some drugs or it's a Republican who's you know nullifying some federal law, I'm for all of that but my major pitch and and I think by the way in certain areas it's better probably to do that on the Republican ticket I think in other areas it's probably better to do that on the libertarian ticket certainly if you're in in a in a blue area it's you're gonna be seen a lot more as the enemy if you're coming in as a Republican at some local race than if you're a third party um, and libertarians have gotten some people elected to, to local races who have been able to do some good things you know not as many as as Republicans and Democrats but I think my, my point still stands and I think that if you're going to concede that there's no real victories to be had on the national level, then why not make our national campaign something that can really wake a lot of people up to then go do this work on the more local level? If nothing else, uh, do the Ron Paul thing and create a million more libertarians. But again, the, the, the Ron, Ron Paul's
1: moment came from the Republican Party. And again, Rothbard. I mean, this this is a Rothbardian strategy that's being outlined here. Because I mean, earlier you talked about, like, well, this isn't the '90s anymore. Personally, I think '90s politics is far more relevant right now than 2000 than the war on terror. You know, if you look at the issues there, the concerns of your average people was crime in big cities. It, it was a you uh, it, it, it a radical, far left government utilizing uh, the federal government to to crack down on anti government people. Uh, it it was the culture war aspect of it. You know, if, if you read again, like the '90s paleo strategy stuff, and, and that's one of the things the side projects I'm trying to do. Um, I've, I've got uh. Open up today, uh, rock, RockwellReport dot if, if you can, if you read the stuff and you see, like, what are the issues that they're trying to identify? They're trying to push. It's not that Rothbard changed his, his, his Rothbardianism. It's not that Lou Rockwell became any less libertarian. Um, again, Ron Paul was not any less libertarian taking on the Republican mantle. What he was doing is that they were he was picking – you have to choose an audience. As, as a messenger, you cannot talk to the left and right and be equally effective. Now, can you find some people? Can, can, can the Tim Pools of the world have a, have a, a reasonable conversation? Absolutely. There is a small group of people that you can be, that you can have a reasonable conversation with but i'm sorry that, that that's, that's the that's a minority perspective most of the left and most of the right are incapable of of a persuasion and so what you can do though is if you come to them as a fellow traveler then you can perhaps go to a state like texas and you can make meaningful arguments in favor of decriminalization or legalization or whatever i mean matt, matt gates in florida for example is one of the top people that got uh, our first medical marijuana bills passed here in florida but you, you have to come from a common person and, and as an individual as a messenger I, I don't think that you can be everything to both sides you have to pick a group you have to identify what group where, where are the masses Where's, what's that best stage you can to reach as many people as possible for that populist sort of aspect to it and you have to target it and, and i think the mistake is when we try to act like, oh, well, we're neither left nor right. When you, when you try to transcend the culture war, I think you're losing our biggest weapon because again, you, you, there, there are strong left and right left libertarian arguments that can make romantic appeals to those cultural alignments there. Okay. Um, and that's a strength. I, I think the division
2: of the libertarian movement is a strength rather than a weakness. So I would say that I, I really do think that Ron Paul in his presidential campaigns, it's not that he was going to speak to everyone on every issue, but I really think that he did have massive appeal to both the left and the right. And that lots of people like myself, like Mark Claire, like who probably would have ended up on the left. If it wasn't for Ron Paul, I think there were a lot of. What wood- just because I'm a long haired hippie, I mean. Yeah, I mean, look at him. Look at this filthy Mexican over <laughs> here in uh, in Central Mexico. That uh, you know, like so, you know what I'm saying? Like, I I think he did have appeal to those, and it's just because he told the truth and spoke from principles. A lot of Ron Paul's appeal was forget even the philosophical uh, aspects of it, it. Was just that he was so obviously being honest and was so obviously knew what he was talking about better than anyone else. That was a lot of his appeal. Like A lot of the appeal of the the Giuliani-Ron Paul moment, it wasn't just how on point his take was. It was that he was being sincere, and Rudy Giuliani was repeating rehearsed Lines that a politician says, and then Ron Paul was talking about you know like the coup in 1953 in Iran, and everyone just knew Giuliani doesn't even know what this is. Like he has no idea what the history is. He just knew more, and he was more honest, and this appealed to a lot of people. And I think that you know when when it comes to the culture war stuff, I'm not against getting into the cultural battle and talking about. Look, liber- I've I've been saying this for years on my podcast. Libertarians should support a culture that is conducive to liberty we should not support a culture that could never work alongside libertarian policies which is one of the dominant cultures being pushed right now and i think for a reason but i really believe that we have something unique to kind of add to the conversation about culture which is that um, it's really twofold. It's like, number one, so much of this culture war is a direct result of the fact that the government's gotten so big and that now we have to be at each other's throats over who is in the, you know, controls it. And number two, that this is, I mean, look, I'm not saying wokeism is, a Michael Tracy tweeted something along these lines the other day. He said, I'm not saying wokeism is a CIA plot, but it would make perfect sense if it was and it certainly does seem to be like it, it is intentionally pushed by all of the biggest corporate uh, media outlets, by the CIA, by the FBI, now by the Federal Reserve, by politicians, by, you know professional athletes, all these centers of like extreme wealth and power are pushing this wokeism. And I think it's very uh, intentional to divide Americans and distract them from the really important issues of who wields power. And I think if libertarians have a role here, our role is to try to de-escalate things and point out, hey, look, this is what's really going on here. Uh, their next big distraction is going to be this UFO thing, where oh, there's UFOs everywhere. We only know because the Pentagon and military is telling us, and we never got a clear picture. You know, they're all pretty grainy. But anyway, that uh, a whole other can of worms aside. Um, but the the truth is that if if we really believe, as I do, that a free society is going to be conducive to a much better culture. Um, that that we would all rather see, then I think it 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 behooves us to talk about the culture in these terms. And I also do think it's not I, I don't think it's wise for libertarians to just pick a side in the culture war and fight the other one, then then we might as well just be Sean Hannity.
1: But, but I, I think the culture war, I mean, um, the woke most, I mean, it, we, we saw this obviously play out with, with the LP stuff, I and mean, there's a lot of libertarians that are probably fine with the woke, woke side of things. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why I think that if we act like, oh, well, we don't have a position here, you know, we, we're, we're trying to appeal to... A oh, lot of them know, are more than idea. fine
0: with it. They're in it. Right. <laughs> and, and,
1: and, 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 and and I think this is also, this might be the biggest miscalculation of the left, because here you have a strategy. Like This is where I think, like, Tucker Carlson, for example, misses the immigration point. I think that he's right when he talks about how Democrats have tried to use an open borders policy as a way of changing the demographics the difference is though is that i mean the biggest threat to you know the, the biggest power grab that the libertarian that the left has right now is not crossing borders and you know citizenship from that perspective it's the fact that you have the, you know it's the university system it's the fact that we're taking you know white you know, college edu- educated you know we, we have more you know uh, mediocre minds in universities than ever before because of government policies we're putting them in indoctrination centers where they're intentionally being pushed and they're cranking it out there and if you look at seeing the voting trends change it's the states that have the highest increase in college graduation that you know college graduation rates that those that, that's that's an issue with virginia and other places there's, there's other aspects there but i mean that's the bigger biggest part and and so like i think we have to actively fight back against that that left-wing cultural dynamic in order for us us as libertarians have any any opportunity at all because again it's it's not something while obviously there is a major role in the state subsidizing all this sort of stuff and and i am sympathetic to like the paul godfrey sort of argument that uh, uh politics really isn't downstream from culture that that culture is downstream from politics because of the way that we subsidize universities and things like that i'm i i think there's a lot of legitimacy to it but th- that's exactly why though you know it, when you have a lot of you know like hispanic voters that are christian by nature which, which which i think that that's one of the biggest changes i've had i've never been a particularly religious guy but i i think that you have to have sort of a, a a christian sort of revival for any sort of pushback against the left to work at all um just because historically I mean, that's been the strength of the west morality wise and things like that we you know, it's instead of trying to say like we got no you know we, you know we just want freedom i think that we should be playing to these, this this inherent cultural conservatism because it, it's the cultural conservatives that are the most aga you know uh, 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 scared by, you know, the, the, the woke mobs, by the Black Lives Matter people, because there's no demographic, in the voting demographic in the country, more like a Hispanic uh, a male voters that are outraged by the Black Lives Matter stuff. These are the natural allies. And so that's why, again, I, I think focusing on these cultural elements, again, which come from an explicitly right perspective, that's what gives us the unique opportunity to then come in with the ideas. Because I think most people are not going to be or are, are never going to be ideologically motivated by policy. I wish they were. We'd have a much better uh, a chance if we did. But also, so so ultimately like, like Mises has this great quote where he talks about you know, like success in the marketplace. And it all comes down to, you know, who, who can satisfy the wants of the masses more. And it, it doesn't stop really great products from being made, but like ultimately the market rewards the the ones that appeal to like the lowest common denominator. And like, that's essentially what we have to do with politics. We have, we have to, to, to weaponize our ideas in a way that, that, don't, that, that don't simply appeal to the people we can sit down and have a conversation about coups in, in American history. And like, I mean, obviously, I would prefer those conversations, but we don't have that luxury. We've, we've got to reach out to people that aren't interested in that sort of depth, but that simply recognize like who the enemy is. And, and that's what like, I think economics at its best is – and this is why, like, why I think it's so important for us to, to engage the right because the right's so bad on economics right now. That ultimately, economics at its best is a culture war issue because ultimately economics tells you who is ripping you off. And, and that's all that, – that, this is a long, great history of America of, of, of right-wing populist, anti-state privilege, anti-central bank, Jacksonian-style populism. And, and that's, that's where I think the opportunity is right now where you have – again, on the right, you have skepticism of the empire abroad. Recognition of the consequences of empire in, in, in house, uh, terrified of the left, you know, religious sort of push within our institutions, and you know, and, and, and so what you need to do is fill in the economic side of it yeah so maybe, you
2: know, it has to come from full travelers so so where I, I will really agree with though um, is that so when i when I first became a, a libertarian and I, I, w- I was introduced to the ideas by Ron Paul in two thousand seven, really in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I started just reading like a ton of you know like I, I found Murray Rothbard and just went you know nuts and got obsessed with libertarian philosophy and all of that and I recognize your point that's not going to be most people's experience. but I used to say back then that I thought overall the left was better than the right and i thought that the the worst issues to me were the wars and the um the the uh, incarceration of nonviolent criminals, like it just in a, in a Rothbardian deducing moral, you know, like in the most like, you know, um, uh, anatomy of the state blueprint. Well, what the state does, whether it democratically elected or not, the moral character of it is no different than any other group of people doing this. And what is is war other than mass murder and what is, you know, in, in imprisonment of, of nonviolent victimless criminals other than enslaving people. And so if you are on board with those, then those are the worst two things the state does. And on these issues, the right has gotten much better I mean like d- drastically better it's it's really almost hard to imagine from somebody you know if you live during 2004 2005 and we're aware of what's going on that the 8 p.m hour on fox news is tucker carlson arguing against every last one of these wars in real time when it really counts getting them all right and in terms of the the drug stuff they've gotten a lot cooler for sure and and the left in that meantime has gotten crazier and worse on on a lot of these issues. Um so I do I recognize this trend. You know it's not like I I'm not like saying that there is something to this. I just think that in many ways the the culture wars are designed as a trap and that if you start it, it's like you just want to be clear about who the enemies are. And and it's not like, you know, the the they get the left-wingers so obsessed with this identity politics that they think that they're fighting the oppressors by fighting, you know, like some, some truck driver or something like that. But if we're just responding to the, you know, if you're just on Twitter going, aha, they identify as they, you're only one right. person, you're not they, then we're just as guilty as they are. Because the the whole, you know, it's like I, I, I saw this, uh, there was this meme that I shared recently um, where I we might have been talking about this on one of your shows, Mark. I don't remember, but there was the Raytheon uh, meme with a, there, there was like a transgender person on their flyer. And they're like, I work at Raytheon. It's a very inclusive, you know, environment. And I identify as they. And I, I posted it on Twitter and I was making some joke about it. And then I even see like some of the right wingers who follow me. They're like making jokes like they're like, oh, yeah, you identify as they. You're only one person. And you're like, no, no, that's not the joke. The joke isn't that this person is trans. The joke is that Raytheon thinks you're so stupid that you'll do exactly what you're doing right now. You know what I'm saying? And like not focus on, and they're right. And this, and it's working. And I got to tip my hat to them because it's working. So the whole point is that the, the libertarian role there is not just to jump into the culture war. The libertarian role is to go inclusive. They're building bombs that are dropped on human beings. So that's just the essence of my point that when it comes to the culture and I think, and by the way, I certainly am. Um, I am a, as I I think I like I have, I'm pretty bona fide like in, in my credentials on this. I'm as anti-woke as I think anybody out there. I think it's it's like pure toxic garbage that will rip society apart. And it's it's awful. It it like it rewards the worst impulses in people. It it, it truly is. I know this is like a dumb almost like thing that people make fun of, but it is the real bigotry of our time. It is literally like where people are, uh, they're getting high off being vindictive and judging other people and going on metaphorical lynch mobs, you know, um, uh, uh, trying to ruin people's lives. It's, It's the same impulse that is everything people reject of racism in the past. It's just been flipped and used in this other way. I hate it, but I also think that it's like, I'm not trying to just be Ben Shapiro here, because this this is very convenient for people like Ben Shapiro, who don't have a problem with the Fed or our fo- foreign policy at all. Let's just get bogged down in this culture war, and then every, nobody will pay attention to that stuff. And if libertarians have any role, our role is to get people paying attention to that stuff again, because that's actually what's tearing the country apart. Here's a
0: question I, I, I kind of want to toss out there for, I guess, for both of you, but I mean primarily at though at first but like would would you feel differently about what dave and the libertarian party mises caucus is doing if they were doing it say as the republican mises caucus would you would you think it might be more effective strategically if it was the exact same message the exact same people but attempting to do that for the republican party and, and on the flip side for dave Why not do that? Why why is the Libertarian Party a a much, much smaller party that is is likely not going to get into debates? Maybe if someone like you is the nominee and and can get on Rogan, maybe can somehow crack in there. But we certainly can't count on that. Like would but would either of you feel differently if that was the way it was being done?
1: I oh, know. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm not anti you know, Mises caucus. I, 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 I think you've that spoken. Was, I think of them as, as the best part of the libertarian. Absolutely. Party. And what Michael Heiss has done, because I, I appreciate how, how difficult it is to build institutions. And, and, I, and, and that's that's something that's and he's done it. Like, it's, it's an incredible feat. And then everyone involved should be extremely proud of, of what they have accomplished. Um, but it, that's what – if you simply took that – and it doesn't even have – I don't even say like it has to necessarily be explicitly Republican. It could be a non nonpartisan in terms of that. But, but I, I do think if you took that same apparatus, the, the ideological, the idea-driven, substance-filled campaign, and you simply didn't push it into a third party, no change of rhetoric at all, I think it suddenly becomes a far more potent political force because it can actually make differences in purely political – Avenues where where vote counting matters, right? And so that's why I, the question is not about watering down rhetoric at all. When 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 Rothbard was, and this is true with, with Rothbard's appeal to the left and the right, he would go hardcore one side or the other, and he was not trying to appeal to to all, but he would he, but he wouldn't compromise one bit. Right. And, and I think that's exactly why yeah, that, that's exactly the approach I'm advocating. I'm not saying water down your content at all. You know, I'm, I'm saying you know, go out there and talk to normal Republicans about secession, about nullification, you know, about the drug war, about the empire, et cetera, et cetera. You don't change any of that. But, but if, if Dave simply ch- and, and I'm not I'm not suggesting I'm, not, I'm under no illusions that he that he would. But if, if Dave simply changes voter registration to a Republican, I think that his, his platform that he has right now, which is so good, would grow overnight simply by the aspect that you're now in the political system if, if, if dave was with like the new york city young republican club which is doing incredible things gavin wax and bish burrah you know again they, 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 i mean they were holding you know uh, uh, secret uh, uh events uh, you know at, at the peak of the covid lockdown stuff i mean genuine enemy of the state style sort of stuff there if if, if you were using that platform Dave's incredible content would go even wider. And so that's kind of, you know, so, so my argument is that instead of you doing, lifting up a political party, let the political party work for you. And, and this is my recommendation to, to anyone else out there is that, again, if you have ideas, you have something to say, you're, you're already different than most people in politics. The question is simply, what's the quality of the stage that you can use to push that? And if you're interested in politics, you have to consider the stage, not simply the ideas.
0: And for Dave there, I would just say, I mean, we, we keep talking about reigniting the Ron Paul revolution. That's the entire concept behind behind the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus um, without having to say, like, you should go in the Republican Party and and accept the, that part of the culture war and just take that side. Like, why do you not see that as as what was really was the Ron Paul template doing it through the Republican party. So you could get on that actual platform, get on freaking ABC where the actual debate is gonna take place or Fox news or what have you and and get the platform in that way. Do you think that's just an unviable path and 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 if so, why do you think the Libertarian Party is the viable path for that? Do you think you can get if whether it's you or someone else charismatic who ends up becoming the the Libertarian Party nominee who has that same Ron Paul Mises Caucus message? Is there a chance in hell they even get on that that same dis- debate stage anyway?
2: Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I'd say there's a chance in hell, but uh, that's not really like my primary concern. But, you know, if if that happened, uh, the, 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 it, the question isn't like if I were to, to be the nominee. The question isn't like, would I be on the debate stage? The question is how much of a ruckus would I cause of people demanding that I'm on the debate stage and how obvious would it be that they were denying that and would they feel pressured to have to do it or something like that? But I'll say this, I don't have any party loyalty. And this was the first thing that I said in the debate to, uh, uh, to Nick with Nick Sarwak that I was like, look, I don't care about the libertarian party. I care about liberty. And political parties are just vehicles. If the Libertarian Party can achieve, help achieve liberty, then great. If it can help spread ideas, then great. And if not, who cares? And this was that, you know, at the heart of our debate was like, well, what if Dick Cheney's over here, but he just puts L next to his name? Are we now all of a sudden like, well, he's a great guy because he's got an L next to his name. And of course not. It's like, would any sane libertarian say if like Ron Paul was the Republican nominee and Dick Cheney was the Libertarian Party nominee, would you go, well, I'm a libertarian, so I guess I got to vote for Dick Cheney, I mean this obviously is just madness, right? I know so one guy who the, would, but you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't I'm not no more shots at him. I I've I've buried <laughs> that whole thing. Um but uh you know, so th- the thing is this, right? To to recreate what Ron Paul did in the Republican Party is just simply not within our grasp it's not feasible. Now, if a great libertarian could be the Republican nominee or the Democratic nominee, I acknowledge that would have more value than them being the Libertarian Party nominee. But unless one of us is going to settle down in a very red district, deliver 7000 babies so that everyone (laughs) in that district knows that you're their baby doctor, you know, like, I mean, the path that Ron Paul went through is a very unique thing because he's a, a unique great heroic man that probably won't be recreated in our lifetimes um however what absolutely can be done and is very achievable like all libertarians have to do is decide we want to do this and it's done i mean my, like my podcast audience is is um Several times bigger than the amount of dues paying members that there are in the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Party already. And I know like you guys both pointed out there are these woke libertarians. I'm telling you, they are a very small minority, a very, very small minority within. You know, if you go look at like the just to get a sense of it, not that this is a perfect representation, but go look at an argument that Mark or me or someone else is having with these these woke libertarians and just look at the interactions And who's agreeing with who it's about on point. It's like a thousand to one against those guys. Then there are other people in the party who are have positions of power, who use the woke stuff to try to attack people who might threaten those positions of power. Kind of a microcosm for what the whole woke thing is in general, right? Like, oh, all of a sudden Bernie Sanders fans are sexist, right? Says the establishment. Like, th- this is kind of how the woke, you know, stuff ends up working. But what we can do is take the Libertarian Party and make it a force with a party that's already majority Rothbardian. That is a lot of good libertarians in that. And so to me, the, the whole pitch is that the, our best most realistic, doable option going forward is to have someone, whoever that may be, as the nominee of the Libertarian Party who can get on all of these huge platforms and really deliver this message. And the value in it being the nominee of a third party running for president is just simply that people, people look at that in a different way. In the same way that people looked at Ron Paul when he was running for president in a different way than when he's just a country doctor speaking on his YouTube channel. And um, I think that this would be a huge opportunity to spread the ideas, to, to do what the Mises Institute has been all about doing spreading these very powerful ideas, as Mises said himself, Tho has a great video on YouTube talking about with the Mises Institute's contributions to the world and how Mises himself said how powerful ideas are. You know, this is our only hope right now, I think, is to spread these ideas. You know, Thomas Paine wrote pamphlets. And and these pamphlets had a, a huge effect on a society that was ready for revolution. And I think we're approaching that position again, that point again, and spreading these ideas. I think this is the best way to do it. So that's that's my pitch for why using the Libertarian Party
0: um how are you guys in time because i do have a couple questions uh from our patreon supporters i'd love to maybe toss in here if we we got maybe 20 extra minutes cool i got some for some for some of some for some for one of you some for both of you so let's just take a little a little sampler here um i guess i'll start with one that, that is kind of for both of you actually um uh, he said, uh, "Let's see who is this from." Amanda Jean. She says, um, "Is it possible that both growing a libertarian platform through a political party and taking a p- pragmatic approach through Republican slash Democrat infiltration are both good strategies that can work hand in hand instead of against each other? They aren't really targeting the same people, but meeting different groups where they are currently." I'll, I'll let you both speak on that. Uh, why don't you? Why don't you give it a, give it a start though?
1: Okay. And, and, and I don't think they're necessarily in conflict. I, I do think that often the the conversation about like, oh, the LP you know, spoiled this election or that election, I, I tend to think it's a lot overstated because I think there's a group of people that otherwise not vote for Team Blue and Team Red. I mean, it's, that it's kind of contrarian by nature. Um, but I, I do th- the reason why I, I try to be vocal about this and I do push back in CLP strategy is that ultimately I think we're, we're competing for a lot of the same resources. There, for, for, there's, there's only a certain type of libertarian that is going to do the kind of the boring social work that's that's needed to to do work within the apparatus of a party, and and so ultimately, you know, I, I, I the, the, what you need to take over the LP is similar to what you need to taking over a a state Republican party, um, and and so that's why you know I I, I want to, to to engage on you know where is a better use of time because I think that we're we're not you know we, we're fighting in a long long ways to against you know, we're bidding for the same resources there and and i i think that one approach has a higher payoff than the other and so that's i i that's where the conflict comes into from just from a strategic strategic point um but they don't necessarily have to be in conflict i would agree with that
2: dave um yeah no I, I i certainly don't think they have to be in conflict and i'm i'm not going out of my way to like you know Tell anybody like I said at at the beginning of this, like l- look, libertarians have to be honest, and probably this applies to the entire conservative movement as well. But just to say that, like, y- your strategy has failed. <laughs> and so I think that libertarians, if if we're saying whatever strategy there has been, you, you gotta be a, a you have to acknowledge to some degree that we have failed. We live under the biggest government in the history of the world. And so there has been no libertarian strategy that has been successful on a large level. Um, So if there are people who are trying to achieve different, you know, have different strategies and trying to achieve the same goals that we want that way, I'm open to hearing them out. I I would just say that to me, like going back to what I said before, what seems to be, the, why I'm pretty convinced this is a better strategy is, is, like I said, if we decide to do this, then it's done. All it takes is us libertarians deciding we're going to run, that we're going to have the Libertarian Party be a force for true Ron Paulian, Rothbardian libertarianism and speak this to the masses and it's done. If we decide to try to influence the Republican Party, we simply don't have the numbers and we can end up being a Rand Paul who can go whisper in the ear of Donald Trump, but we just ran that experiment. And to me, all it really seemed to do was, uh, you know, Take away from the credibility of Rand Paul and have him up there, you know, praising the biggest spender in the history of the world.
1: To, to be fair, that Rand Paul was a failure, not because of that. You know, Trump, not him whispering it there. Trump was a uh, Rand was a failure because, because he didn't haircut, take it mostly. Oh, that didn't help. But he, 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 he took didn't take advantage of opportunities that was given. Yeah. I mean, there, there was an opportunity in the tax bill. In 2017, or 2018, they needed every single vote. Marco Rubio leveraged his position as a must-need as a must-need vote to get uh, extra child tax credits in there. Rand Paul did nothing. Rand Paul didn't know how to leverage his position. It was a failure on Rand Paul. But there was an opportunity where if you had a senator that knew what he was doing he could have made you know he, he could have gotten a cryptocurrency tax into there he could have pushed for for his father's competing currency bill so the opportunities were it did exist it wasn't a fault, you know it wasn't a, a a systemic failure of having a republican senator trying to whisper to trump it's the fact that the senator didn't do his job and and so, and that's part of the problem is that we have I, I think that it goes back to, to Dave's point about failures. Libertarian strategy is that it's it's we've missed opportunities. Yeah, well, and and, and I think and, and that's that's where I, I think this is a potential missed opportunity here. If, if we ignore if, if we try to play beyond the left and right right game of it, because if if you didn't have an LP candidate in two thousand eighteen, then Ron DeSantis would have lost that that, that race. Because yeah. you're dealing with 33,000 people. Well, and, it's, and so if the, if the LP started getting serious about – like if, if the LP one wants to start getting serious, for example, like endorses endorse romp – uh, the Santa's like 22, and it acknowledges, hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to try to play both sides of the game. Like the, the Kurt, uh, the libertarian account out there. Then, then I, I think that demonstrates the, the LP becoming something a little bit different. In a way that it's no longer just having a platform to talk about libertarian ideas, which Dave already has, but it's actually trying to leverage the the threat of ballot access and things like that in a way that that can do something. It's not simply trying to elevate the national conversation. Right. but it's actually leveraging politics as as you know, the, the power that, that comes within that. And I so, think that's kind of a different conversation.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, let me just make like a couple points before we go to the next question. I actually, well, I just want to say this and I don't think though will disagree with me because this is almost outside of the realm of what we're debating here. But to be fair, and I hate taking shots at Rand Paul just uh, for no other reason than just out of loyalty to right. Ron Paul, who's just the greatest human being walking the face of the planet. And I just, I it's his son and I hate to, but where, where Rand Paul And this is almost splitting the difference between what me and you are arguing here today, but where Rand Paul blew the whole campaign was the first time he spoke at the presidential mm-hmm. debate yeah. where he criticized Donald Trump for not promising yeah. to support whoever the Republican was. And he ran up there and said, I am Mr. Republican who has loyalty to the Republican Party, no matter who it is, whether it's Jeb Bush or Lindsey Graham or Marco Rubio, I will support that person. I promise, teacher, I will. And that was just not that's not what anyone it wants to could have been less of
0: a Rand Paul thing to right. say.
2: Yes, yes, the, Ron Paul and, and he was actually, whether intentional or on some subconscious level, he was blatantly repudiating his father. Mm-hmm. He was actually condemning his father for the, being the guy who never did that. and that was one of the big you know disagreements you know anyway, all right, en- enough about that, but I would just l- let me ask though this question, right? Because this, I think kind of gets at the heart of it for the sake of the ideas. That the Mises Institute has done so much great work to spread, and I, like I said, I am eternally grateful to, to what the uh, you guys and and you know uh, how how heroic Lou Rockwell and Murray Rothbard and Jeff Dice and everybody who's a part of the Mises Institute is right. Let's say in 2016, okay, Ron Paul was you know 10 20 years younger, and Ron Paul ran on the Libertarian Party as their nominee. And so instead of being Clinton-Trump with Gary Johnson on the sides, it was Clinton-Trump with Ron Paul there. And you don't get to cop out with saying that Ron you'd rather have him on the Republican side. I'm mm-hmm. saying, let's say that's not an option. Right. You just get to choose. It's either Gary Johnson or it's Ron Paul there. Are you telling me that the state of the liberty movement and the state of the world isn't just better if Ron Paul was running for president in 2016 again? I think the world would be much worse off. And
1: and I I don't like to say that, but I, I think it would because what you would have had is Hillary Clinton would have won. There would have been you know it it would have been a there, what I what I see that Trump era as is not necessarily some, some some great victory per se, but I think it was a disruption. I think it was a meaningful disruption. And and I think that Ron Paul would have taken enough of of the vote away from from Donald. Like, for example, I, I think even John McAfee. I think John McAfee would have changed that election. Because you know, enough people try to pursue the wild man, I, I, I would have probably vote Macbeth over Trump with that. But right. It was very, very compelling on that, um, and 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 I think the world would be better, worse off. And, and even tr- ran. And, and, and in fact, I think it, the uh, uh, it would have been terrible for the ideas that Ron was saying because you would have had entire all of Red America would have hated Ron Paul. It would have went from being we we respect Ron Paul, but he's a little out there for us to hating him because he would have been the blame. Would been been the blame. I mean, for example, I mean Shane, Shane Hazel. If we, no Georgia Republican that is that is familiar with Shane Hazel is ever going to take him seriously. Now, now good, he, he's got his own base. I don't think he cares about those people. That's fine. Okay, and and I'm not saying he's wrong to not to, to for that. But I'm saying that your average Republican in Georgia, if they know Shane Hazel, thinks he's a he, he credits him with the left having a Senate, and I, I understand that. Mm. Um, and and I, I think
2: that we got nothing to show from the Trump presidency. All we got was an even more radicalized left. I got locked in my house for a year in 2020. But was I no Trump. gains.
1: It, Trump, well, Trump's not the reason you were locked in.
2: It, he certainly gave no. cover to the governors. Declaring a state of emergency, he was for the lockdowns. He absolutely gave them cover. He is partially responsible for that. If, if,
1: if you compare the experience in America relative to the rest of the Western world, again, it was, could have been better, absolutely. That's not the question. But but, but there, there was no nationwide shutdown order. You you had you had Trump out there taking, again, relative to other other world leaders. Um, you know, Trump was pretty. Was relatively on the, the the less tyrannical side. I wish he was more. But it's, it's because of Trump's approach that you were able to have the DeSantis and the, and and, and, yeah, you got one, and things like that. All right, all right. One, maybe maybe two, two. two uh, I mean, yeah. and, and George. George was early on there. I mean, and, but again, it was a clear divide okay. in red and blue. But again, but Trump could have been much heavier heavier handed. I, I wish he did more. I, yeah. I wish he did less, I suppose. But but you know, he's not the reason there was the. You know, that's because of the blue state governors. Uh, 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 uh,
2: okay. Yeah. I'll give Cuomo more of the blame than Trump. I'm fine with that. I'm just saying that it's almost beside the point. The point that I'm making is that the idea of, Oh my God, Trump wouldn't have gotten in there, you know, like verse uh, Hillary getting in there. I think if Ron Paul had been running in 2016, the Liberty movement would have been more alive. The same growth we had from 2008 to 2012. I think we would have had even more. I think these ideas would be permeating the culture in a way that is hard for us to even imagine. They wouldn't have died off the way that they did, uh, uh, going into 2016 so i just think it would have been nothing but a net positive if we had had another another ron paul campaign but that's you know who filed this under who knows we're all just guessing what would have happened
0: all right kitty cats what you may be thinking to yourself right now is how does he do it how does he get the energy to record multiple podcasts in a day and then come and host one of these debates. It's not even over yet. We have a little bit left, but I'll tell you my secret, my friends. The secret is my friends at zotti Italy, Lorenzotti Coffee. You can find them at L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. I did that without reading it because I've been promoting these guys for long enough that I know how to spell it. These guys have been great supporters, great patrons of this podcast for a really long time. And because of that, I want to urge you to support them. They support us. You support us. You support them. It is the circle of giving the circle of life. So please do check out Laurenzotti.coffee. And don't forget to get 10% off your order by using discount code lions at checkout. All right, well, let me just try to squeeze in a couple more quickie questions and then we'll, uh, we'll sign off here. But, uh, I want to get a couple in. Actually, I have two here. We'll combine them as one. These are both from Angela McArdle. Of course, you know, is running for chair. a Good friend of mine out here in Los Angeles. Um, these are both. I'm going to say for for though. She says, how can Liberty Republicans get rid of the pro war neoc- neocons who are deeply entrenched in national politics? She has a follow up. We'll make it all one question. How can Liberty Republicans convince MAGA Republicans to support free trade? I think this all really stems to the idea of why, Angela, Dave, and others are not trying to do this through the Republican Party because they see major issues like war, like things that Ronda DeSantis supports, uh, or free trade that they're never going to get headway on because they're so firmly entrenched in the party. So why should they bother? Well, is, is can, the
1: question. You saw the Republican... Can, I, I wish the the, the, the action had it was, was more consistent, but can, you had the Republican Party convention. Every speaker was celebrating the end of... of Wars abroad. Again, were they overstating things? Yeah, but, they, but I mean, but they were celebrating it, right? We just got rid of Liz Cheney and leadership, right? I mean, so most of the most are, are articulate and powerful voices on the right are, are are not neocons. The neocons have less power of the Republican Party now than than ever before. Um, and again, Trump was on that you know, was was the, the a less interventionist candidate when he was on the stage. Again, we already mentioned Tucker Carlson' the position. He has. I, I think that's okay. There, the trade issue, I think is. I, I think we have to engage with it seriously. Um, for for one, I, I think that one again one of the, the major things we have to do is we have to connect all the problems that the, that the all the critiques that the right has in the economic policy to the Fed. Um, but but there's, there is some common ground there. I mean, if, if we can argue against government managed trade agreements, I mean, R- Ron Paul was doing that rant. Murray Rothbard was doing that. I mean, we we could use a lot of that rhetoric there. Um, and it's and so I, I I think that. You know, it, it's important to simply take a a. You have to engage with the the problem is that the rights operating off a character off a cartoon character, of what they see them free market as, and it's not helping that that Cato you know is, is out there you know making cases for corporations and things like that, um that that, that is a problem. Um, but we have to we have to engage with it, saying look you know, what we're trying to do is is um we, we I think we have to take the concerns from the right seriously. And for example, China. For I, I, I think that the tr- the China issue. You had libertarians like bending over backwards in defense of, of trade with China. I think chi- trade with China is a little bit of a different issue than like the, the idea of trade, free trade generally, right? I mean, Trump loves signing free trade agreements. They weren't necessarily great, but I mean, he loved signing trade agreements. Um, he was not a protectionist he sounded like one but he was not a protectionist he 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 made deals he, he got deals done i think there's a lot of libertarian naivete in, in terms of, of the way that china uses the, econo- not, the economic system and i think where there's ways that we can attack china in unique ways i i think that i mean the austrian schools analysis like what china's doing to their economy and the malinvestment and things like that i think it's a fascinating t- topic um but i but i but i, I think that but we, we instead of simply defending you know trade with china and some of these things the way that that some of our, liber- our, 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 our DC mouthpieces have, I think there's ways of engaging it from the perspective that the right has and and, and doing. But but this is the argument. This is the, the gist, right? The, the biggest failure of the Paolo strategy was Pat Buchanan going out there criticizing, you know, we don't need dead Austrian economists. Tucker Carlson said the same thing. Steve Bannon said the thing. I don't know why they, they always go out of their way to attack Austrians. It's very frustrating. But this is the issue. And, and, and so it's it's, it's – I'm betting that we can do that. And It's something we haven't done before, but that's I'm I'm the ones taking that bet, and I realize that that there's nothing I can point to historically saying, oh, well, this is obviously going to work. I, I recognize that.
2: Well, yeah, but just to be fair, I mean, like I did say at the beginning of this, like, yeah, look, none of us have anything historically we can point to that goes, well, this will roll back the state. So we're all trying to to find different ways. And I actually I agree with a lot of what those said there. And I think it's it's kind of one of those things. It's like Trump with the free trade and the immigration stuff. He gets he gets blamed a lot for his rhetoric. But if you actually look at his policy, he really wasn't that much more protectionist or even that much more hawkish on immigration than a lot of his predecessors. I mean, George W. Bush raised tariffs as well. And, you know, everybody's had border enforcement and stuff like that. It's, you know, we kind of have the worst of both worlds with immigration, where we have no system that actually prevents people from right. coming in. But we have a system that'll make sure to lock a whole bunch of people in these detention facilities. And so it's, you know, um, but I, I would say that I think um, to, to Angela's uh, first question, which was, uh, I'm sorry, what, what was her first uh, uh, question again? It was, it, about, it was how can
0: liberty Republicans get rid of the pro-war right, neocon right. So the entrance. So, to,
2: so to me, there does have th- this is where we need more of the Ron Paulianism. Is that is that a word? Uh, is, that is that you, you have to uh, kind of really someone has to plant a flag and be like, look, this is the philosophical groundwork to think about foreign policy on, because as much as Donald Trump would, you know, kind of say, oh, they lied us into war, when Sheldon Adelson called and wanted uh, John Bolton to be his national security advisor, he put him there. And and your boy, Ron DeSantis, is, is, was taking trips with Sheldon Adelson over to Israel and talking about how great they are and everything. And it's like, if you have that, and they don't really understand what's going on here with this foreign policy that that person being commander in chief is just not going to solve any of these problems. So it's much deeper than just it's It's wonderful that Liz Cheney is is losing her committees and all of that stuff. It's really, really good that the talking point on the right is Donald Trump didn't start any new wars rather than Donald Trump bombed the crap out of them. Like, that's a huge victory, you know. But, at the same time, when Donald Trump uh, murdered Salomani, every right winger I know was pretty much ready. To to go to war with Iran, and the only reason it didn't happen is because the the people at the Pentagon realized they couldn't actually afford to do it. So we still got a lot of work to do. Whether you take those strat- strategy or my strategy, we still got a lot of work to do. And if I can just make one more point of that, I, I think uh,
1: if 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 we'd lived in a world where the Liz Cheney's and that entire like you know Neil you know, the the National Views and all that had been Trump supporters from the get go and had cozed up to his ego and all that sort of stuff, I, I would. Not probably be in the position where I'm at arguing my strategy. One of the things that we have, the unique advantage that we have, is that again, I, I don't care for how petty it is. I don't, I don't care what the underlying substance is. The fact that there was this massive split between the the, the true hawkish types, the David Frums, the world, who's one of the most horrific people in the world, and the Trump that that. That split, you know, the, 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 the pettiness, and the animosity, and you know, Joe Goldberg can't buy pants, and all the absurdity of that—that's—that's—that is what I think drives this moment. Where it, it, that's where it gives us this opportunity is to really kind of hit that Trump flag, even when there's you know, we want more substance. But if the other, if the normal person, is, these people didn't like Trump, that's a value
0: fair enough all right i want to try to squeeze another question in. i'm somewhat hesitant to 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 ask this one but i want to please the patrons uh because this could lead to a three-hour podcast but i'm going to do it anyway this one is for dave this is from andrew smith from popular liberty and he says dave you've criticized the gop rightly for getting deceived into wars but you're vocally supporting a caucus and a party that both have abominable records on a portion uh chosen consciously and deliberately unlike the gop who were deceived an abortion is a far higher body count than any war. I do not want to turn this into a two hour abortion debate, just want to say, but to finish the question, should you shouldn't you be working more to change those pro abortion positions? Or do you agree with Michael Heiss in December of 2020, very specific on the LPMC donor call, that abortion, unlike war, is too controversial of an issue to take a courageous stand on? Which is, I know this is a subject you've spoken on at length, including on, an, an, on a, a debate we hosted um, a year yeah. or two ago on this podcast, so I know you're very passionate about it. So how do you reconcile your your stance on abortion with, I guess, what what Andrew is seeing as uh, the Libertarian Party's and the LPMC's kind of dismissal of the issue?
2: Yeah, well, I will just say that doesn't sound like a direct quote from Michael Heiss. So no, I'm i do not don't gonna, it's a direct quote. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, you know, speak to that. I don't know exactly what he said, but I'll let him, you know, explain that if he wants to. Look, as as I've said on on, you know, repeatedly on on this show and on lots of other platforms, I'm unapologetically pro life, and I, I believe abortion is murder, um, and that's that's my position on that and i think that there are there are libertarian arguments that have been made on on both sides of that issue um i and this you'll very rarely hear me ever say I think Murray Rothbard was wrong, but I think he was wrong on that and I think Ron Paul uh is right and I will just say that as great as Murray Rothbard is, uh Ron Paul is an OBGYN and so he gets the libertarian uh nod to me on that issue and so yeah, that's that's what I believe and that's what I'll always stand for. I think we need a libertarian revolution in this country and that's why I support what the LPMC uh, the LPMC is doing um but, you know, yeah, that's that's my position on the issue. I don't really know what else to, to say. I do think that the way to deal with the abortion, you know, crisis in this country is probably not just going to simply be like, oh, well, we will just change a law and then that will solve this problem. I mean, this is this is a gigantic cultural uh, failing that it has to be a cultural gotten, change it's that, that we've be even a... gotten to this point now I, I would absolutely support repealing roe v wade or, or something like that and you know what i mean which is not what most people think it is that would simply just be leaving it up to the states and, and local governments to to make their own rules there's no federal you know murder laws and, and stuff like that so there's no there's no need for that um but yeah this it's it's a huge cultural failing and it's it's symbolic of just how horrible things have gotten. But yeah, I'm I'm unapologetically pro-life and I I have never wavered on that. All
0: right, I'm gonna to toss one more out to though um, mostly because he's one of my fellow hosts, so I feel obligated. But John Oderman, host of Finding Freedom, he asks, why does the GOP achieve so little when they control and that's not now, but when they do control all three branches of government, they have failed miserably. So why continue voting or supporting for a party that continually fails in power?
1: I think that again, it that is a, that that requires only looking at what happens at the federal level, and and I, I I don't think there's any value in only looking at it from that that ends. I mean, the problem is that what, the the incentive structures we have in D.C. It doesn't matter who you elect. The incentive structures of the federal empire are built towards expanding itself. And, 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 you know, unless you put in place, you know, a majority of Ron Paul radicals that that really just are, are determined to burn the sucker down, there's no way of fixing it. And that's why it kind of goes a little bit to the, to the abortion question is that I, I think ultimately the, the biggest, the, the, the real political victories are to be had at the state level, being able to organize and, and highlight the way that decentralization provides answers to cultural hot button issues like the abortion question. And... and uh, you know leveraging the powers that states have against the federal empire and 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 enforcing it not not through through legislative reform but through you know you know, we're going to come and take this power back from you that's the only way that we're going to you know, use levers of power politically to, to declaw the state. I, I don't think that there's something that can be done from a national perspective. I think it's, it's all about what states do. And I think if you look at the record of states, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to like the Republican Party of Alabama or Mississippi. I mean, there's plenty of bad Republican Party state level out there as well. But if you look at the, the states that are really threatening you know, I think, again, I think Florida and Tennessee and uh, South Dakota, uh, Texas, I think is a little bit coasting off, off its reputation. There is really important stuff happening at the state level when Republicans do control it. And you are a freer person on average if you're in a red state than you are in a blue state. And again, I think that matters.
2: Okay, so but then let me just ask, uh, uh, though, and again, I would I would just point out the caveat before that it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it it depends on who you are. And if you're like, you know, you know a drug user or something like that, you mm-hmm. may not be a freer person in those states. And that, that does matter to libertarians too. In the same way that Ron Paul would flip out if anyone couldn't drink raw milk. Like we, we should care about all freedom for all people no matter what the the issue is and how we culturally might feel about that. But let me just ask you like, so if you can't really say that there's any benefit To the republican national movement like if if there really isn't any benefit to the republican control of the federal government or or, uh, not to mention the republican presidential race why would you be against a libertarian in there like why wouldn't you want somebody who's gonna really tell the truth from the the correct you know, Mises Institute perspective on a national scale like that, if we're not going to win anyway, and if we all know, as you know, as well as I do, that even if we got DeSantis in there, it's just going to be a continuation of the suicide, the bankruptcy, the wars, everything we hate. Why not have someone up there who's just going to like maybe wake up a whole new generation of of Misesian, Rothbardian libertarians? I
1: I don't think that an LP campaign is going to do that. I think that you on Joe Rogan is is more powerful than any libertarian campaign that's ever happened, and I don't think that you need. I I, I don't think that changes just because you're a presidential nominee. Um, you know, I I think, and and it's, it's that's that's kind of the core there. I I don't think an Elp nomination does that. I don't think that's a stage that matters, uh, politically to people. I really don't. Um, so you don't. And think, I, I might be wrong, but I I don't think it. I don't think it matters.
2: So you don't think if Ron Paul you know, goes on like a Joe Rogan show or something like, you know, imagine Ron Paul younger or Joe Rogan bigger during mm-hmm. 2008 and 2012. If Ron Paul goes on there and just says all these great ideas and it's just some great podcast and people are like, wow, that's amazing. And then there's other podcasts and they co- which is more or less what happens when I'm on, like people go, mm-hmm. wow, that's really good right. points. And you know, you, you wake some people up and they come over and then people listen to another podcast, another podcast. But if Ron Paul's just some guy up there, or if Ron Paul says all that stuff and then goes, and I'm running for president on this platform, you don't see any difference in how powerful that message is. Like, do you not notice? Why do you think it is that after Ron Paul stops running for president, but he's still saying all the great stuff that he's been saying forever, you don't see this energy in this movement. Don't you see that there's something to Running for president to kind of create this energy that then makes everyone else want to tell their friend and tell their friend and tell their neighbor and get everyone excited about it. Because to me, what, what I don't understand after the Ron Paul 2008 and 2012 campaigns is how any libertarian doesn't see this. Like, this is my argument with the agorists and all these other people, how does anyone not see just the power of presidential politics, as stupid as it is, and as much as this shouldn't be the case, this is the American situation? You, you, do you get my, my yeah, point? Yeah, you're, I, 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 you're not running for president if you're the LP nominee. You're
1: not. I, mean, you're, I you're you are. You're, you're running as an LP. I, mean, I mean, Roseanne Barr ran, you know, ran as a third party candidate a couple of years ago. Nobody remembers. Yeah, you know, I I don't think that Jillian Stein did much to promote the you know, whatever her her causes were. I don't think third party even even really good candidates. I, I I don't think Ron Paul, you know, I, outside of the was the Morty Morty that great clip from the you know the from the eighties. Uh, I, I don't Isn't think it Ron. all worth all it for, it for that? that? Yeah, right. yeah, no, you're, you're telling me it's not, not all worth it for right that. <laughs> if, if we can bring that show back, <laughs> fascinating guy. But, I, I, but, but Ron, he's not alive, right? Can we bring I him I back? To, yeah, no, unfortunately not unfortunately Dave on the yeah. show or something. Uh, I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. That's a fascinating story. But but I mean but I, I don't I don't think Ron's LP race mattered as much when he was running because it's I don't think they're the same good. I don't think it's the same opportunity. And so I think that Tulsi Gabbard on the Democratic stage or Andrew Yang if Andrew Yang started his own third party. You know, if if you he, if he use the LP to promote some sort of entrepreneurship UBI thing, and I as a libertarian, I would shriek. But you know, I, Andrew Yang in and the third party wouldn't matter. Andrew Yang on the Democratic stage would, and and so I I don't think that they're the similar similar thing. That's 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 where my dis, perhaps the most fundamental disagreement. And maybe I'm wrong. You know, you know, if if if, if you were in 2024 and, and and you this massive tidal wave of support, and, and you're able to bring in like the Tim Pool audience, the Joe Rogan audience, and you're able to translate. That, I, I understand. I, I think I see the vision. I, 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 think I could argue that point. I just don't think that's the. I, I just, I don't believe that's going to be the outcome. I, I, I think right. that's, yeah, that, that's that's my my perspective. On it. And, and will, maybe
2: that's that, though
0: that comes to the ultimate difference here. Like I, I think though might agree with Dave's vision if he thought Dave's vision could happen. Dave does think his vision can happen, so. I guess we'll see, right? I guess that's where we're at. So I think that's that's a good place to to leave this thing off. Um, I know this conversation is one that's going to continue on this platform, on various other platforms over the and, next couple of years. Can I just say uh, thank
2: thank yeah. you, Mark, and I appreciate that. And I think one of the the areas of common ground that uh, that me and Tho have is that, like, I think Tho is doing incredible work and in everything that he does with the Mises uh, Institute and everything he does, like with his speeches and podcasts and all this stuff is incredible. And I know he appreciates what I'm doing, too. So we, we both think we're, we're doing incredible work and we all think you're doing incredible work, Mark. So keep well, it I up. My part's
0: easy. I'm just here drinking a forty while you guys while you guys chat. Let's be honest. But, I did I did uh, but, notice that, <laughs> but I do appreciate both you guys coming on, having this discussion. Again, it's it's going to be a discussion that's not not ending today. It's going to be going on through 2022, 2024, and probably the rest of uh, my podcast life. So, uh, but I'm glad we could have another nice iteration of it today. So, uh, that being said, thank you both for engaging in this conversation. I think it's uh, one of the best ones we've had, especially on this subject in some time. So, thank you both. Follow Dave at Comic Dave Smith. Everywhere else, part of the problem. uh, Legion of Skanks. Follow Tho at Tho Bishop. Mises Institute. Rothbard Radio. Redneck Riviera. I think I pretty much covered everything there. So uh, thank you both so much uh, for all your service to the cause. And uh, keep up the great work, guys. Keep on roaring. Alright, and thanks again for a great discussion between Dave Smith and Tho Bishop. Uh, you know, I like I said, I'm pretty much just there drinking a 40 and chiming in occasionally, so it really is especially in cases like this, the guests who make the show, so I do want to give a tremendous thanks to both Dave and Tho for participating and a tremendous thanks to you guys for watching or listening. Even more thanks to those of you who are members of the Pride, Lions of Liberty Pride, who got to watch this live, some of whom got to ask questions during this event live, and we encourage you to just find out more by heading over to Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, where you get all sorts of discounts on merchandise, all sorts of bonus audio shows, live streams of many of my interviews, all sorts of fun stuff, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers. I swear we're going to get another episode of Drunken Howie story one of these days, as well as another Do Nothing Man. It's all coming down the pipeline for our supporters who keep this thing going, who keep fueling our Liberty fire over in the Lions of Liberty Pride. If you don't like Patreon, there are a various number of ways you can donate. You can find all of that over at our website website, along with today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com. And do not forget, it's not just me here every single Monday on the flagship. We also have Brian McWilliams smacking you upside the head with his special brand of acerbic humor, comedy, liberty, everything in between, and just absolute madness. If you were able to listen to his discussion with Thaddeus Russell and Hotep Jesus the other week. And of course, John Odermatt wraps things up on Thursdays with his foray into the world of freedom over on finding freedom. Those guys have been crushing it lately. I got to think I've been crushing it. I don't know. People tell me things. I listen. Who am I I'd argue? But we are really rolling on all cinder- cylinders right now and uh, we can use every single one of you. So please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Don't forget to write us a five-star rating and a great review over on Apple Podcasts. And please do check out the Lions of Liberty Pride. Don't forget for a limited time only we're going to have a big discount, a private class on Vin Armani's Bitcoin Mystery School. But you got to be a member of the Pride. And we're talking about an over $75 savings here, and it only costs you $5 to join the Pride. So uh, I don't think I need to do the math for you there if you were interested in taking Vin Armani's Bitcoin Mystery School already. A couple more things I want to mention before I sign off here. I did a couple interviews last week. One of them already ran. That was with Joshua Smith on his show, Break the Cycle. If you have not checked it out, you got to go over, especially you got to check out the video version. Josh is just doing some really cool stuff and uh, really enjoyed speaking with him and got into a lot of personal aspects, personal elements of my life that I haven't talked about Anywhere else. On that note, I also did a tremendous interview with Buck Johnson over for his program Counterflow. That one should be airing today, the same day this very episode releases. So I encourage you. I highly encourage you. I got into areas that I've just never gotten into on any podcast, uh, talking about different aspects of the Liberty Movement, uh, my evolution over these last couple of years, uh, a lot of personal development that I've gone through, and I think it's just a really unique podcast. And I think we touch on a lot of areas that libertarians can really learn from. So I want to really encourage encourage you to go check out this week's episode this monday's episode of counterflow with buck johnson and that's all i got kiddies. until next time
2: live live!
0: and live free